8.48 and um, while I research the raccoon species of Asia, um, I'm now going to welcome in the studio Mark Zastro, science journalist. Good morning to you. Good morning, Alex. And we're going to turn our attention to other matters today, including microplastics getting into our salt, a, a particular problem in this region. Also, uh, a city in China wanting to launch an artificial moon to light its streets. Maybe someone should tell them that the moon itself doesn't project light. Um, And how the collapse of the old city of Angkor is a modern warning about climate change. We start there, Mark. Good morning again. Uh, Can you tell us more? Sure. So in its heyday, of course, the city of Angkor was the largest city in the world. It was the capital of the Khmer Empire. Uh, But then suddenly in the 15th century, at some point, the city apparently collapsed. Uh, Almost everyone left and moved to the area around what's now Phnom Penh. And the reasons why have been hotly debated by historians. But one common thread has been the fact that in the previous century, Southeast Asia experienced a huge upswing in its monsoon rains. So that's according to the rainfall records. Uh, And now a new study is suggesting that those floods could have caused a massive failure of the city's water infrastructure. So the idea here is that uh, people may have left not because the land itself became unlivable, but maybe because the floods actually broke its system of water distribution so badly that this whole city had to be abandoned. And uh, how did they actually reach this conclusion? Right. So uh, they actually took a a very close look at archaeological records of this old water infrastructure. Uh, Of course, if you've been to Angkor, uh, if you've gone to the temple Angkor Water as you ride through the rest of the ruins of the old city, I mean, you can see these canals and reservoirs uh, sitting out in the fields that uh, used to form what was a vast network of water control for distribution and irrigation. Uh, they're just you know, spread out in these fields. And what this new study did, which was published in Science Advances, is they actually modeled that network as a system to find out what its weak points were. So it's the same kind of modeling that city planners or designers would do today, where they test a huge network like uh, traffic on roads or power grids to see how those systems respond to stress. Because, of course, sometimes a single failure can cause a whole cascade of failures. So they actually physically modeled what happens in a flood in this network, how the water will fill up the reservoirs and canals, how it would start to erode the soil uh, in the embankments in those canals uh, and drop new sediment into the system as well. So they found that the system was actually very quickly overwhelmed because it would channel these floodwaters into only a few major canals. And those would have quickly eroded and failed, which would have caused water to build up further uh, up the system, uh, causing them to fail as well, causing damage up there. So uh, it would have been what we would today call a cascading failure. Well, um, as far as uh, very much the problems we face in the modern day, research is a warning we should treat them as a lesson. So that's another aspect to this. Right. These researchers are at the University of Sydney. Uh, they say that this kind of failure could happen to our cities too in an era of climate change, right? Our cities are more complex than ever. They're full of these kinds of complex networks, and they're also vulnerable to these kinds of failures. And as climate change provokes more intense weather events, it could test our cities in similar ways. I mean, of course, it seems unbelievable that, uh, you know, a modern metropolis could uh, fall apart so quickly. But I'm sure people thought the same way about Angkor at the time. It has occurred to me, thinking of some of these ancient civilizations, the way in which they were once 
viewed. Mm. By the way, I've 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 had to find a solution to this raccoon question. Nogori, And, Nogori was mm. the name of a typhoon recently, right? It, it was, yes. That's the translation, the Korean word we use for for raccoon here, but it's not actually a raccoon. It's a raccoon dog, which mm. is more. Closely related to foxes and not really closely related to raccoons, which are native to North America. Well, there you go. There the we more go. you know. So, my suspicions about whether you find—I mean, there are raccoon cafes, of course, here, but it's just kind That's of right. biological question. It relates to science, just about. Um, let's move on to another topic close to home. Maybe inside our home right now, table salt, a worrying new study from researchers in Seoul and Incheon saying our table salt here probably contains plastic. That's right. This study comes from a, a local team uh, here in uh, Greenpeace East, East Asia based here in Seoul and also from Incheon National University. Uh, and they find that table salt, not just here, but all around the world, is actually full of microplastics. Uh, we've known for some time, of course, that um, some salts around the world have, have microplastics. It uh, gets harvested from the sea. Uh, and, of course, the sea is full of microplastics. These bits of plastic that get broken down get washed into our rivers and lakes and out to sea. Uh, but this new study, it looked at 39 brands of salt from 21 countries around the world. And it compared them. And it turns out that only three of those samples had no detectable microplastics. So based on this study, based on their estimates, they say that the average adult human ingests 2,000 pieces of plastic per year uh, just from table salt. It, it is frightening, but is even worse here in Asia. That's right. Unfortunately, uh, the team found that the concentrations of microplastics in salt on Asia were much higher than the rest of the world on average. In fact, nine of the top 10 most plasticky salts uh, came from Asia. Uh, and in fact, they actually suggest that this means salt is probably a good way to measure the amount of plastic pollution coming from a given region. Uh, so they say Asia is a hotspot of plastic pollution. But most microplastics come to us by just breathing, right? That's right. About 80% comes just from the air. So if I can't do much about that, I think I'm going to just have to take my chances with the sprinkling of salt. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Take the story with a pinch of salt, Mark. <laughs> There But, you go. Or, or just eliminate plastics. Let's work together. Um, let's finish with a story about um, a moonshot by Chinese city Chengdu. Yeah, they have this idea now where they want to cut down on lighting costs by launching a satellite that would be an artificial moon. Of course, a full moon can cast a, a faint glow across the city. Uh, they want to make something that's about eight times brighter so that they could potentially save $240 million dollars in lighting costs. Hang on, so when I introduced this story, I thought they were going to light up a fake moon. They, so they're not actually going to light up this satellite, it will just be reflecting light the way the moon does? Be, exactly. It would oh, reflect wow. sunlight and uh, use mirrors that would angle this beam so that it would hit just the city of Chengdu alone. That's the idea here. And it's actually been a similar uh, project was tested or tried to be tested by uh, the Russians on the space station Mir several decades ago. So it's not totally crazy. Uh, you could make it happen if, if you found the funding. But a lot of people are worried that, you know, this could really mess up people's circadian rhythms, the, the rhythms of the entire city. If you can't ever get away from, uh, yeah. from this mo well, intense moonlight. If it's never switched on, you can't switch it off. Right. Exactly. Thank you very much, Mark Zastro. We're out of time. Always a source of fascination. Great to be here, Alex.